When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk. It's Ohio State Michigan Week. It's Doug Lane Race. It's Nathan Barrett doing what we do on Monday, except it's not just a Monday. Nathan, can we describe? Listen, let's not act like our Ohio State Michigan Week is different than anybody else's. It's Ohio State Michigan Week. So if you care about Ohio State football or you care about Michigan football, it's Ohio State Michigan Week. But like it's it's hardcore, right? Like we're gonna do a bunch of podcasts and we try to do special stories. And the thing that I was talking about, there's two different things that you cover, and sometimes we don't cover the football in a week that much. That if we don't think the opponent is that interesting or that much of a threat to Ohio State, we're not gonna dig in on matchups hardcore. We're not gonna spend an hour on a pod breaking down stuff. Um, and there have been times in my career covering Ohio State, Michigan, where the football is not that interesting and the football is not that good. But the rivalry is always interesting. And then when the football is 11 and 0 versus 11 and 0, it's two of the four undefeated teams in the country. It's number two versus number three. It's it's two truly excellent football teams, and it's the rivalry. And Ohio State's been mad about it for a year. There's almost three separate things happening because there's the there's the basis, there's the foundation of Woody and Bo and Gold Pants and all those things. That's always there. But it's always interesting. There's always something new to find there. And then you have this completely new thing with Ohio State really since the, for the first time since they lost in 03 and had to come back in 04. Because again, the 11 loss, they hire Urban, they kind of wipe it clean. For the first time in almost two decades, having to live with the loss in the rivalry. And then also... My gosh, if Ohio State's number two and they're playing number three, if this was Indiana, if this was anybody on their schedule where it's 11 and 0, 11 and 0, two versus three, that's gigantic. But it's also Michigan. So there's three different things that we're covering this week that are all would be hugely important on their own that could carry a whole week of discussion and coverage by themselves. If we were, right, when it's Clemson, right, for instance, if it's just revenge, revenge is a week. You can do a week on revenge, plus the rivalry, plus the game. Good, fun, hardcore. Buckeye talk. 
the, was there a question I was supposed to respond to? What's it like? Like, what would we? How would we describe to people? Like, hey, like what we're feeling, what we're doing as we get ready for this. Well, it's it. What makes it a little bit different is it's not like this came out of nowhere in yep. any of those aspects, and we prioritize this game enough, much like the team does, much like the team we cover does, that we've been talking about this for a while. This isn't, it isn't quite the same as, um, uh, you know, even when you get into the playoff, all of a sudden, you know, you get in the playoff and you win the semifinals and now you have to focus on this national championship game, but it's very fresh at that point. It's, it's an uncommon opponent. It's somebody you have maybe only talked about in passing here and there a little bit. This is something that has been going on in our lives for almost a full calendar year and will be a full calendar year by the time they kick off on Saturday. So it, 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 it's not like it necessarily lessens. It's not like I'm sitting here like all um, just geeked out, ready to go because we've been, this has been a slow burn to get us to this point. And now it's just a matter of we've, we've put all the perspective here. We framed it up and now it's just a matter of going out and, 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 you know, getting into the, the nitty gritty of just what this game is. And I'm repeating myself a bit from the post game pod, but I, I just want to make sure that, that we are not dismissive. And I don't think we are. And that I don't think there's anybody listening to this that would take this for granted but the idea that Ohio State and Michigan played such an important emotional game a year ago that was for a playoff spot, that was potentially a turning point in the rivalry. It, it, it was a lifeline for the Michigan program in a lot of ways, and it was something that Ohio State hadn't experienced. And then Michigan went out and took care of business in the Big Ten title game against Iowa, and they were overmatched. But guess what? Michigan made them look that way. And Ohio State went out to the Rose Bowl with a bunch of guys sitting out and played a humdinger of a game that set up a lot of this season with C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison Jr. and everything else to beat Utah in that game. And Michigan lost to Georgia, but man, Georgia's really good. And then they both, as much as Michigan's schedule in the non-conference was weak, as much as Notre Dame, although Notre Dame's coming back around, and Wisconsin and Michigan State and some of the other teams that Ohio State played maybe weren't as good as people expected. This is hard to do, and I think we have to make sure we give a lot of credit to both of these teams. All the work that goes into making sure you don't get tripped up to create an opportunity like this is pretty extraordinary. And I think when we walked off the field a year ago, Nathan, if we would have said, "Hey, you think this will be eleven and zero versus eleven and zero next year?" I don't think any of us would have predicted that. Jim Knowles was not yet here, right? Marvin right. Harrison Jr. had not yet become Marvin Harrison Jr. We didn't. Tommy Eichenberg had not yet become this version of Tommy Eichenberg. Lathan Ransom, all those things. Michigan made a quarterback switch. Cade McNamara was still around. Now, he got hurt after they went to J.J. McCarthy, but they that was a choice that they made. They lost Hassan Haskins, and Blake Corn became that guy. They lose the number two pick in the NFL draft. Michigan loses both coordinators. Three of the four coordinators in this game, Nathan, are different than a year ago, and they are both back here at 11-0. and Whatever the schedule was or wasn't, and TCU has like the toughest strength of record in the country, and they keep playing – pretty solid teams and barely winning, but 
we have to appreciate the work that both Ohio State and Michigan put in to making this happen because certainly late November a year ago, there was nothing about that that we would have assumed. Well, listen, on the eve of this season, neither you or I picked Michigan to be 11-0, and I don't think at this point, right? I had certainly Correct. picked them to lose at least once. I'm pretty sure you did too. So like we even, not, not even going a whole full year back, but right, right as the season was about to start, we didn't necessarily expect to see this. And I made this point today in, in a post that I wrote about my, uh, my AP ballot that was going up and that I understand why fans bristle a little bit when you get pushed the way you do by Maryland. But I also, and I know this predated me, but I was obviously around the Big Ten at the time. Like when you look back at the 2017 and 2018 Ohio State teams, it wasn't that they, those teams had no business being mentioned in conjunction with the playoff, but they ultimately had flaws that they couldn't get past and that a team was able to exploit. A team very much not unlike Maryland and Illinois, the teams Ohio State and Michigan had to play yesterday in very hard-fought games and, and found a way to win and move on. And I think we have to be careful not to make every game a referendum on whether a team has proven it's the best team in the country. And that obviously is the ultimate goal. And I think we do a good job of, of putting things in context and, and, and pointing things out when they look like they're not going to be uh, up to caliber the house state's going to need to, to win a national championship. But I also think uh, don't, don't be so quick to just throw the whole thing out because they had a tough game this past week. Uh, they still have everything in front of them. They can still win this next game that sets them up to be at worst, probably the number two team in the playoff and uh, everything they want is still in front of them. So there's just a lot of things. Listen, it's the game. So we're going to hit a lot of different things about the game. Our plan is to bring you a podcast Every day this week, and, and all of them will be related to Ohio State playing Michigan and this 11-0 versus 11-0 matchup. You did bring up the polls. We don't have the playoff rankings. They'll come out on Tuesday night, and certainly Georgia will be one, and certainly Ohio State will be two, and certainly Michigan will be three. And we don't know how close those are. But when you look at the AP poll and the coaches poll, you can look at that. Nathan, Ohio State is convincingly ahead of Michigan. There are 63 voters in the AP poll, and there are 62 voters in the coaches poll. And in the two polls, Ohio State is 61 points ahead of Michigan in the AP poll, and they are 64 points ahead of Michigan in the coaches poll. So they that's basically close enough. Everybody voting Ohio State second and everybody voting Michigan third. Right. If it was, you know, they could be only 30 points ahead. They're they're uh, the number of voters ahead. Is it that clear in your mind? Like, as we think about these two teams, and this is two versus three, just like it was in 2016, is it decisive that Ohio State is two and Michigan is three? But as one of those 125 voters and the two polls combined, did you think about it? Did you, do you, did you have to sit down and think to yourself, who is number two? I didn't have to think about it very hard because, again, as we've talked about many times, I, you're voting on the resume, and the, the the Notre Dame game, I think, is is a differentiator right now. A lot of the rest of this schedule is very similar. You know, Michigan beat Penn State by more, but they got to play them at home, and so maybe that washes out 
more or less. And a lot of the other results um, of the common opponents are, are somewhat similar. Ohio State thumped Iowa by a lot. And, um, but even like the Maryland results are pretty similar, except Ohio State had to go on the road and Michigan played them at home. That, that, just that Notre Dame game alone, I think, is enough of a differentiator. And there are other performance things, too, that when you look at it. I, I would say I was almost closer. I gave more thought to whether TCU should be three than whether Michigan should be two. And I think that makes sense. Just and I really do think if, I mean, if you're if you're a resume voter, I mean, if you're if you're a resume voter, you probably should have TCU second. If you're a pure hardcore, any pure hardcore resume voter who's like, take out the names, you know, just take. I just want to say who you played and who you beat. Um, the number of like you know teams between fifteen and thirty five that TCU has beaten is greater than what Ohio State and Michigan have done. But I think that's a good way of saying it. That is. You know, I, I do think – did you feel that at all? I don't know if it's just – when Michigan was at its best doing Michigan things, and especially maybe after the Northwestern game for Ohio State, did you feel any shift at all in, in the idea that maybe people – was there some kind of national perception of like, eh, maybe Michigan's actually better? Or did you always feel like it was pretty solidly – of the, they are two very good teams, but Ohio State looks like the better team to the great majority of the people. Yeah, I, I, that's a great question. I, I, I mean, the, these results would tell you yes, uh, but I think if you are just on social media and things, you can start to get maybe the other opinion that maybe there are some people out there who think that that Michigan is maybe a little bit overlooked, and that um, at least they did, and maybe until the the Illinois game, I think that might have quieted some of that. I mean, listen, the the other differentiator here, if you're talking about just national esteem and in the, in the analysis that people have put on this, go back into the polls. Before Georgia beat Tennessee, Ohio State was getting about like 12 to 15 number one votes, at least in the AP poll. I don't really actually look at the coaches poll that close each week, but I, I, I know that in the very consistently we're somewhere in that range. I can't remember what the high or low was, but somewhere around that number. And then the Georgia beats Tennessee. And since then Ohio state's had like one number one vote, but Michigan has not had a number one vote all year. So that's another, I, to me, another way to look at how people at large see these teams, that there are people uh, a, a significant number of the, the voting bodies of these polls who have seen Ohio State as potentially the best team not that long ago, and nobody has ever voted Michigan that even once, at least in the AP poll this season. All right, quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking about this idea. There's a couple of specific things about these two teams, about the Big Ten and the teams around them, about how the playoff is is sort of shaking out for these two teams. I want to get into. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Lee, Maurice, and Nathan Baird back on Buckeye Talk. We'd love to have you have a tech subscriber this week. I we, we're adding you know people here and there. If you want to be involved uh, at this point, you would get because it's a two week free trial. You'd get the Michigan game, and then you'd get the Big Ten championship game if Ohio State beats Michigan. You would get that coverage as well, all for free. You send a text to this, the number 614-350-3315. You'll get a link back to sign up. It's $3.99 a month, but you don't have to pay it because you just would type stop back to us before the 14 days are up, and then you don't get charged for anything. So like, make a note to yourself, hey, type stop, and it's a freebie, and we'd love to have you. 
and we text out inside. There's going to be a bunch of interviews with a bunch of Ohio State players on Tuesday. You get boom, boom, boom. You know, all the things you need to know from them, from Ryan Day. Jim Knowles, we'd love to have you join us this week. Let's talk about the playoff thing a little bit because it has – you and I w- went pretty deep on it on one of these pods a couple weeks ago. The idea of both teams getting in, Tennessee losing is a huge deal for that because mm-hmm. when you're talking about a non-champ, it was like, well, there's already a good non-champ out there. And that non-champ has wins over LSU and Alabama, and Tennessee is now taking a second loss. Tennessee's out. I, this is very difficult. I don't want to really have a debate about how algorithms work or how formula different websites come up with formulas. But ESPN, their playoff percentages, right now, the chance to make the college football playoff, they have and, and I guess this is a combination of like your path plus the expectation of are you gonna win the games that you have to win to make it happen. Georgia has a 97% chance to make the playoff. Ohio State is 93. Michigan is third at 73. TCU, 54. Clemson, 34. Alabama, 15. USC, 15. Which only has to reflect the idea that that this thing thinks that USC is going to lose one of its next two games to Notre Dame or in the Pac-12 championship game. And if that happens, USC is not going to get in. So this is just predicting USC to lose. Nathan, I still don't understand how Ohio State and Michigan can combined have like a 165% chance to make the playoff. That's like a two-thirds chance that the loser gets in, which just seems high to me, even though we know Tennessee just lost. Like, let's, Can you just talk people through the realistic scenario that gets the loser of the game into the playoff? And maybe you can comment on whether 73% for Michigan seems a little high to you. So let's just start. They have Georgia at 97%. I would give Georgia Tech less than a 3% chance to beat Georgia. So I think that number's wrong right away because I think anything other than Georgia losing to Georgia Tech, Georgia is in the playoff. I don't care what – if Georgia makes the SEC championship and then loses to LSU, Georgia still goes to the playoff, I think. You agree with that? Correct. So Georgia's in. And the OSU-Michigan winner is in. So this is really all about who gets those other two spots. A one-loss USC Pac-12 champion gets in. But USC right now has to play Notre Dame, which is rolling a little bit, uh, and then has to turn around and play. Is it decided who they would play for sure yet? No, but I think Oregon has the edge. I think Oregon does have the edge. And I think people probably suspect that Oregon might actually just be a better team than USC. Possibly. Uh, So we'll see what happens there. I I I would I don't like the chances of USC going two and zero the next two games, and I obviously ESPN doesn't either. And then it's a matter of, but the the real tricky thing is, I guess, the two loss LSU beating Georgia, and then now the SEC taking two spots. the The realistic scenario, okay, so you're asking what the realistic scenario is. Georgia just beats LSU, so LSU's out, and Georgia's already in, as yep. you said. The OSU uh, Michigan winner is in. Yep. And then you're dealing with a situation where even if USC wins and gets in, uh, wins these next two games, wins a Pac-12 and is in as a one-loss Pac-12 champion, then it basically comes down to the Ohio State-Michigan loser against a one-loss Clemson ACC champion. Now you left out TCU. Or TCU, TCU. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. 
so, so w- w- what it really is is Georgia, the Ohio State Michigan winner. I think it may as well assume assume TCU because TCU could lo- TCU plays Iowa State this week. Even if they lose to Iowa State, they're going to go to the Big Twelve Championship game. And I do think TCU as a one loss Big Twelve champ is probably in. They're probably going to play Kansas State there. Yeah. I what I I, I I think so. If USC and TCU win out, it's going to be Georgia, the Ohio State Michigan winner, TCU and USC. If USC loses one of the next two, and you assume the other three spots. The fourth spot is going to come down to the Ohio State-Michigan loser and Clemson as the one-loss ACC champ if Clemson wins the ACC. That is where the rubber would meet the road. You would have to have USC lose, which you think is very possible, and so does ESPN. Who do you think would get in? This ESPN formula very much thinks it's the loser of Ohio State-Michigan. Do you think that if that's the choice... Clemson, because UNC's out of it. We would have had a guaranteed one loss, potentially ACC champ, but North Carolina lost. So Clemson would have to win out to make it happen. And and by the way, they're playing a South Carolina team that's got a little juice all of a sudden. But that that very much could be the decision if USC loses. Who do you think gets in? Clemson or that loser? Those ESPN numbers suggest that they think that USC is going to lose, and that's what's going to maybe open the door. Right, because they have Clemson with an actually not that bad. They have more like what you said, like a thirty. No, right. well, we have you have to assume USC losing, right? But they have TCU in, and then they have the Ohio State Michigan loser in ahead of Clemson. Hmm. I think that Clemson. So Clemson at that point would then be beating South Carolina, which who knows? South Carolina could be in the in the CFP top twenty five. They were close to being in the AP top 25 this past week and, and maybe a, yep. a win of that caliber over Tennessee puts them in the top 25. So then that'd be picking up a ranked win or at least like on passant or whatever, like as they knock them out of the rankings would be picking up that win. And then, so I, man, is this, I think it's two different questions because of what we said before about the separation there is between Ohio state and Michigan. I, I suspect that it's, it might be two different answers. That if Ohio State were to lose, their resume might still stack up better against a one-loss Clemson ACC champion. Whereas if Michigan were to lose, because it has no non-conference help, and because the committee has clearly seen them in these tiers, um, has clearly seen Michigan trailing um, Ohio State in their own rankings, that Michigan State might lose that argument to Clemson. Because the committee has been pretty clear that at the beginning it was Georgia, Tennessee, and Ohio State were all considered a number one. And then Georgia beats Tennessee. And at that point, Georgia became the clear number one. But the committee has always been pretty clear that it thinks Ohio State is above Michigan. And then kind of also clear that it thinks Michigan is above Tennessee or TCU. I'm sorry. So I do think the one other thing in there is that, uh, Notre Dame beat Clemson and Ohio State beat Notre Dame, which is a nice head-to-head if it would come down to mm-hmm. not quite head-to-head. But that's that's a data point if it comes down to Ohio State versus Clemson. And that's not what anybody wants to be thinking about right now. If you want two Big Ten teams in, root for USC to lose one of the next two, and I think you got a pretty decent chance. I think you got a decent, like better than 50-50 chance. But I'm not quite as assuming – USC is kind of finding a way – and I think there's like a, there's a, we did a big, right? We did a lot on CJ. Not everybody wanted to hear that Heisman discussion. Caleb Williams is a real factor now. 
Caleb Williams is absolutely a real factor now. And we're not going to talk about the Heisman. I do think I just like, did CJ look like the Heisman winner to you on Saturday? No. Like, like he's a good player. He's a good quarterback. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He helped his team win. Did he look like the Heisman winner? Did Caleb Williams look like the Heisman winner? He threw for 500 yards in like a 65 to 64 game. (laughs) That matters. That matters. Yeah, and now CJ's going to have his chance to have maybe a game yes. like that against Michigan, and so this this still can still a lot of of football to be played here, as they say. But it was funny. I was uh, uh, I happened to stay at the same hotel as Joey Kaufman from the Dispatch, who's a USC grad, used to cover USC, and we were having some of this discussion in the car on the way back to the city after the game. And his point was a lot of USC quarterbacks have won Heisman trophies playing Notre Dame on this weekend. So as much as Ohio State's mm. got a big game coming up that is a showcase game, so does Caleb Williams. This 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 win over UCLA is not the top of the mountain for them. I mean, they've got – the Notre Dame game is really their big marquee moment in a lot of ways. And then on top of that, you'll have a, a Pac-12 championship game waiting for you. Yeah, no, by far two biggest games of the week. I mean, obviously Ohio State-Michigan is number one, but USC-Notre Dame is clearly number two. Like, it's not the Iron Bowl – Georgia, it's not Georgia playing Georgia Tech. It's not Clemson, South Carolina. It's not TCU, Iowa State. Like USC, Notre Dame is where the eyeballs are going to go after Ohio State, Michigan. So, bottom line about the playoff USC, TCU, Big Ten champ Georgia is what happens if everybody keeps winning. That's just what it's going to be if everybody keeps winning. If somebody loses, I do think it's very, very possible that, that the loser of the game is up next. I think they're waiting in the five hole right now, but especially if it's Ohio State. So one thing, one thing I do want to say about Clemson is, as much as that Notre Dame zombie win has helped Ohio State, um, Florida State has really come on and is is getting some respect. Clemson won at Florida State. Uh, Clemson beat Louisville recently. Louisville is also a team that is like uh, they're seven and four, but they're it's been a, a fairly tough. Uh, uh, schedule and they might be a little bit better than that. So that's the other thing I'm kind of keeping an eye on is like looking at the the lower parts of these rankings as they come out the next couple weeks because that's where the tiebreaker sometimes is going to be decided. Like who got more of those wins? And again, especially if you're talking about Clemson comparing them to Michigan because Michigan has none of that. And at least Clemson can say, well, we won at Wake Forest. That, that's something like what, what was Michigan's, what does Michigan counter with that? It can't even say, well, we won at Wake Forest. And like all that does matter. But I also sometimes think that like, whether some team you beat in September slides into the rankings at number 24, like it's not that important because well, I do it, think it, it helped. They said it helped Ohio state as soon as it happened with Notre Dame. Well, they said that, but it's like, did it, it's it affects the rationale. I don't know if how much it actually affects the vote because I do think I they still yeah. eye test it to some degree, which is not wrong. I think like if they just think Michigan's better than Clemson, like Michigan plays a really good competitive game with against Ohio State, and I just think Michigan's better than Clemson. Like Michigan is, yeah. And we don't care like where Florida State or Wake Forest or whatever who got the eight wins. Like that's not what it's about. We just think Michigan's better than Clemson. And Michigan's loss is better, and Clemson doesn't have like a super great win. I, I still think we could wind up in the same place. Okay, so this is we're just again we're we're playing a little bit loose here. Um, here's something I wanted to like kind of combine into into one thing, which is when you think about. I tried to sketch out the top five teams in 
the Power Five conferences, Nathan. And I just went by the polls, and it's hard. Like, not everybody has their power rankings out and stuff right now. And then I looked at Ohio's, uh, like ESPN's power rankings, and they have like Alabama third and TCU 18th. And I'm like, nope, that's <laughs> not what I'm doing. That is not what this is about. Great. It's not Vegas. It's not, I don't know what. It's not based on recruiting rankings anymore. Let's be real. My theory is this, and it is that the Big Ten this year is the perfect conference for making a four-team playoff because we are having a conversation about the winner of this game. They're getting 11-0-11-0 end of the year. Neither team had to like super-duper extend itself necessarily to get to this point because there's like one other good team in the conference that they both beat, and Penn State's good, but Penn State's not great. It's a good, solid win in the teens, but I don't know that anybody was all that. I mean, again, Ohio State was trailing, taking the field 10 minutes to play, and then they scored four touchdowns in the final 10 minutes. We all know the deal. But there's not the depth of some of the other conferences, whereas like we're talking about, for instance, the Pac-12, right? It's like USC's on a razor's edge, one more loss, and the Pac-12's not going to get anybody in. But this is, let me, can I read the top five from each conference to you, and then we can have a discussion about this. Actually, I'm going to read it. Well, how should I read it? I'll read the by the conferences real quick, and then I'll read them across, like all the number ones, all the number twos, all the number fours, or whatever. Big Ten. Ohio State 1, Michigan 2, Penn State 3, Illinois 4, Iowa 5. That's my rough thing. Of Those are the five best teams. Pac-12. USC 1, Oregon 2, Washington 3, Utah 4, UCLA 5. Big 12. TCU 1, Kansas State 2, Texas 3, Oklahoma State 4, Baylor 5. SEC, Georgia 1, LSU 2, Bama 3, Tennessee 4, Ole Miss 5. ACC, Clemson 1, Florida State 2, North Carolina 3, Louisville 4, Wake Forest 5. So the real like comparison here, the Pac-12, Nathan, by the AP poll, has five teams in the top 17. And the Big Ten has three teams in the top 11, and their fourth team is 30th, and their fifth team is 31st. So... But Ohio State has two teams in the top three, and the Pac-12's best team is at number five. So USC is five, Oregon 10, Washington 12, Utah 14, UCLA 17, Ohio State 2, Michigan 3, Penn State 11, Illinois 30, Iowa 31. Right now, you'd rather be the Big Ten because that depth at the top only decreases your chances of having a playoff team. It doesn't guarantee you anything. But like in a 12-team playoff, I think maybe you'd rather be the Pac-12. But if you would say like right now, who's the better conference? Wouldn't we say the Pac-12 is the better conference? Because the fifth best team, it's UCLA versus Iowa. The fourth best team is Utah versus Illinois. Like we like the Pac-12 there. USC can probably, and Oregon can probably give games to Ohio State and Michigan. Like how how do we think about which conference is better when we have two situations like that? Well, it's just interesting that we're having this discussion because this year that's true. So many times in the past, I would say this hasn't been true, right? Oh, no, the Pac-12 has sucked, but it's like... Well, not just not just that comparison, but even the, the idea, like the... the the it's it's not like the Big Ten's ever got two teams in before, or really even been on the precipice of getting two teams in before, right? It's it's uh, that has always been the exclusively the the realm of the SEC. 
to even think yeah. about getting two teams into the playoff. So it's interesting that, that, that this has unfolded the way it has this year. And really up until this week, you were talking about the SEC in the same breath because Tennessee looked like it was the one that had positioned itself. Okay, you have one loss, but it was to the number one team, the clear number one team on the road. That's going to get forgiven if a fourth spot opens up, right? You're just going to sneak right in there. And then they fall apart on Saturday night. So I, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. I do think, though, that... So what do you think, though, in a 12-team situation, is it going to just be about getting the most teams in, or is it going to be about advancement? Because the Big Ten does not want to be in football, what the Big Ten is in basketball. And we've talked before how many teams in the – I think the Big Ten would have had the most um, entries in a 12-team playoff if you had done it retroactively. I think they would have had even more than the SEC, at least over like the first seven years of it. Um, but obviously not winning an abundance of national championships in that span. Well, but 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 part of the question is, is just because you have a lower seeded team that gets in, does that mean they're not going to advance? Or is it that they're lower seeded because they've had more opportunities to lose and actually they're battle tested and they're actually better than you realize? Right. And in a 14 playoff, they're not even getting in. But let them in a 12-team playoff as a nine seed, and all of a sudden they might have a chance to do something. I think that's like well, for this year, that's the argument that the Pac-12 would be making. But but if they if USC loses Notre Dame, they're not getting anybody in. But if there was a 12-team playoff, they might get like three or four teams in. And I think you'd you give everybody there like a puncher's chip. Michael Penix? Who wants to play Michael Penix in the playoff? He might throw for 400 yards. Like you'd have they have five teams, I think, that on a given Saturday can play with almost anybody, but they're not going to get a chance in a playoff because they have two or three losses. But this is why people like me were clamoring for like an eight or 12 team playoff for a number of years. Like we already, I think, had bought into that concept. So I'm curious where that like a switch flipped for you at some point. So I remember sitting in the recording a podcast in the front seat of a car in the at the Fawcett Center, at the parking lot at the Fawcett Center, uh, many moons ago now, and you were kind of very adamant that four was plenty. But this, yep. what you're saying right now, is is the clear well, case but, for why but this isn't my this is not my twelve team argument. This is my what kind of conference would you be better off being? I think I'm pointing out the difference between the Pac-12. My point is that right now, like this is the as much as we because listen. So it's not it, we want to keep it on the game. Like I came to realize, five Power Five conferences and four playoff teams is just at at some point it was just breaking the system. It doesn't make any sense. You've got to let people win their way in. And I have very much I've been floating this idea to people. I'm very much in on the idea now of you've got to let college football players lose. You have to live in a world where they can lose a game and it doesn't ruin their season. You can have a bad Saturday and it doesn't eliminate your ultimate goal. And I think that's going to be healthy for everybody involved. And so I've come around on that. Like the idea of like, oh no, you're going to lessen the regular season. It's like, no, you're just going to take a little pressure off some amateurs and and say, it doesn't mean you're not good just because you had a bad day. But I think like we, we've talked a lot about like Michigan's lack of schedule strength, right? In the non-conference, doesn't matter. They're 11 and 0. And they're going to get to play like a winner take all game. And both these teams got to 11 and 0. Oh, Notre Dame wasn't as good as we thought. Oh, Wisconsin wasn't as good as we thought. It doesn't matter. Hasn't hurt them at all. It actually made the chances of getting 11 to 11 and 0 a little bit easier. Good. Wisconsin fired their coach. Good. Michigan State's not as good as last year. Good. Notre Dame was like starting a, a, a new guy with a new, new quarterback with a new coach in the opener. And Marcus, good. 
Michigan dumped UCLA and grabbed UConn? Good. They're both 11-0. Like, for all the, oh, well, they doesn't matter. Cause you And now you get this. And the result is, winner is in. Guaranteed. Pac-12 doesn't have anything guaranteed. And your loser might get in. And the Pac-12's like, man, Utah and Oregon and UCLA and Washington can all ball, but they also lost along the way. And I'm not saying those teams are as good as Ohio State and Michigan. I don't think they are. But I think they're all as good as Penn State. And again, Penn State's not right. the playoff, but it's like you have the, the Big Ten has like two excellent teams and one Penn State. The Pac-12 has five Penn States. And there could be a world where five Penn States, that's great. It's like, nope, but in this world, five Penn States, that's not five of a kind. That's a bad well, hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, You're the it, poker it, guy. You know what I mean? Like, it's nothing. It's the, What do you got? I got five the, Penn States. Like, that's literally nothing, James Franklin. Uh, there's a Simpsons episode where they're playing poker and they're trying to, they're cheating. They're trying to let Homer win. And, uh, he just has like a, a five card hand of just like f- every different suit and none of the cards match. And they're like, Oh, you win. That's we're calling that the Royal, uh, sampler. Uh, so yeah, that'd be the <laughs> Royal sampler. Um, yeah. So, and because I think then in that scenario, you're trying to take your five pin States and get one of them into the final four. Like, is your chance of taking those five Penn States and letting them play down on the field and getting one of them in better than the system you have now uh, for that conference? Um, yes, right. And I think you're right. I mean, watching the the um, the Oregon uh, USC game, or no, the Oregon Oregon Utah Utah game the other night, and there was a lot of talk in that about how cannibalistic the Pac-12 has been. And that even if you get a one-loss team to the Pac-12 championship game, like invariably that team loses to the other team that already has two losses and just kills the playoff thing. And you can never – you're always penalized for, for like depth of quality as opposed, yep. to, as opposed to just having what Clemson was where you're just the gleaming example uh, above all in your conference. And I think that, that's unfortunate that that was how we've had for so many years. But – you're, the, the overriding point, yes, you're right. That especially in the way that this year has unfolded, the the, the four team playoff might finally, now that it's about to die, finally be working in the Big Ten's favor. Yeah, no, for real. Because now they have, yeah, that now, it, that would be strange. Yeah, you finally get, you finally get a chance to have a second team in. Although, listen, man, they played, they were two and three and sixteen. Like they were right there. I do think there's also, I don't know if this is a thing. I, like, the SEC is not as good as the SEC, like, sometimes is, right? For instance, last year, the national championship game was SEC versus SEC. But you still look at this. If Georgia's your best team, they're the best team. Maybe Ohio State has a case, but they're the number one all year. LSU is ranked number six. They'd be your second team. So if you line up the second best teams, in the ACC, it's Florida State. Nope. In the Big 12, it's Kansas State. No. In the Pac-12, it's Oregon. In the Big Ten, it's Michigan. In the SEC, it's LSU. The Big Ten has the best, second-best team. I think that's fair to say. Third-best team is Bama. It's like, all right, well, it's Bama, Texas, Washington, North Carolina, and Penn State. Well, who's the best? Who has the best third-best team? Now, Bama almost lost Texas. I know that. But I'd still take Bama. And then Tennessee's the fourth-best team. And it's like, all right, who's the best fourth? Who has the best fourth-best team when Hendon Hooker's healthy? Louisville, Oklahoma State, Utah, or Illinois? 
Like, let I know Illinois' defense is good and Chase Brown is good. Let Illinois get a look at Hendon, like healthy Hendon Hooker. Look out, right? I mean, like, let's be realistic here. So it is one of those things. I think, like, if you think, like, oh, the SEC stinks. Like, the SEC doesn't stink. They still have good depth at the top. They just don't have two teams at the top. They don't have two of the best four teams in the country, which they have had multiple times. Because you guess, as you said, you know who has two of the best four teams in the country? The Big Ten. It's like it finally is here. And again, 2006 to me is a line in the sand, is a shift. In 2006, Ohio State and Michigan are the two best teams in the country. And it is a perception. They're the two best teams. It's the best conference. They play a humdinger of a game. There are people in that two-team era. They both would have made a four-team playoff, no doubt about it, because there are people arguing they should rematch for the national title. They play a humdinger of a game, and then Ohio State goes and loses to Florida, and thus begins the rise of the SEC. So now if we're back on the back end of that, right? I don't. This is not the fall of the SEC, but the College Football Survivor Show, Shahan Jehiraj and I, we've been talking around like, is there... Is it a changing of the guard? Is it not the end of Saban, but the rise of Kirby Smart? And maybe there's a little bit of a torch passing. And will it? Will Bama take a 15% step back? And what does that mean? But Nathan, the thing that I think, again, is this is what Ohio State fans have to wrap their head around. And it's a debate that I think is always split, maybe not evenly, but do you want Michigan to be good or not? Because if Michigan's better, the game's better. But in your heart, do you actually want the game to be more likely that Ohio State wins it? And do you hate Michigan so much that you want them to be 0-12? Right? It's like all these things. Like, what do you want out of Michigan? I do think, regardless of the outcome Saturday, I do think it's it's possible that we're entering an era, not where Michigan's as good as Ohio State, where but where Michigan might be like one of the five best teams in the country more often than not. And then also, like, with Ohio State, not instead of Ohio State, with Ohio State. They're they're supposed to be. It's something I've been talking about since I got on this beat was just how Michigan was a brand that for a long time, and partially because it was beating Ohio State, I understand, in in the Cooper years and everything. But, like, I think Michigan is supposed to be a brand that has that presence in college football, uh, regardless of who their coach is. Like, it's supposed to be that way. And... I kind of like as an observer, I'm not an Ohio State fan. So as an observer, I welcome it. It'll make our jobs more interesting. It'll make that game better. It makes it makes the Big Ten better. I mean, what's happening this Saturday in Ohio Stadium is amazing for the Big Ten. It is great for the Big Ten. And then to transition to our next topic, what's going to happen a week after that is possibly like a travesty for the Big Ten. So one thing you did, we talked on a, a week ago, right? We did a lot on the idea of a changing world, no divisions in the Big Ten sooner than later, and the idea of Ohio State and Michigan playing back-to-back, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think we dove in on the podcast because then, which is the podcast at its best, is talk about it here, then take it to the streets. And you took this discussion to the Tuesday News Conference, and you asked Ryan Day that, hey – Right? How did you phrase it? What's the question that you asked Ryan Day a week ago? I said, you know, in in the divisionless Big Ten that we have coming up, it would already be decided that Ohio State that you would play Michigan again 
in the Big Ten Championship game, regardless of what happens in this next game. So how do you think that's going to affect the – I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was kind of trying to get at, like, how is this going to affect, like, the vibe of the game? Or uh, does – you know, how is it going to affect how you think about the game, how you approach the game? And obviously he's trying to go beat Maryland. He wasn't really that excited about answering that question, frankly. But the one, the one thing he did say was, again, coming from a guy with, with some NFL background, that some of the things that we've said about how it becomes more like a, a, a divisional NFL rivalry, and it might affect how you play the first game. It might affect play calling. It might affect how you go about what you play that first game. I will say I thought he was ready to be like, ah, we got to go play Maryland. But he answered it far more than I thought he was going to answer it. And he did make the NFL comparison, and he did say something about what – did he not say something about, like, maybe you would hold something back in the first game or whatever? And I was like, what? Like, I couldn't believe – and again, it's he said it in nanosecond, and he didn't think he was going to get asked the question, and it's not like he has – a prepared view of this, but in the moment, cause that's like a very NFL kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yep. But to me, cause the thing that's interesting is to me right now, and we don't want to redo this whole discussion. It's like the regular season game to me is the real game. Sure. It ends the regular season. It's home and away. You go back and forth. It's in your, in front of your own people or in enemy territory. That's it's what it, you've been doing for more than a century. That's the real game. That's the game. But if you're going to split, you'd rather win the second one, <laughs> right? Yes. Because you've got to be the Big Ten champion. Like, that's better. Yes, but, if especially if there's any chance of getting one of those first-round buys. But emotionally, wouldn't you rather win the first one? Wouldn't you rather win the first one? That's but, the real one. I. It's why, I mean, just pondering that is why I understand when fans bristle about these conversations right now. Because I think, as a fan, that might break your brain a little bit to be like, yeah. well, you, there's no circumstances under which I want to lose the game. Like, there, we have to beat Michigan in that last game on Thanksgiving weekend. We have to beat them. We have to beat them. But if you lose that game, but then still come back and beat them the next week in Indianapolis, you might be the four seed as a Big Ten champion, um, and now you've got a bye. It just makes it such a, a, a much easier path to a national championship. And when I was making some of my declarations a few weeks ago when we were on the pod um, about how I thought the future of this might look, we got some um, we got some angry reactions in the text, and I understand it. But I, it's it's another example of how I think people probably can't truly even really visualize what this is going to be because it is so foreign. It's going to be so weird. And the thing of it is, like, it's not going to be like the NFL because the NFL, you play your division foes home and away. Right. Your place, my place, both regular season. And then you also might meet in the playoff, but the two regular season games are equal. And these would not be equal. One's a regular season game, one's a championship game. So, like, there's no comparison for it. There's no comparison for it. And I do think sometimes it is. Like, you don't want to, whatever it is, borrow trouble. Like, whoa, why should – you don't want to spend three years worrying about the thing that you can't control and that may or may not happen anytime soon. So – but it is just weird to think about. But I, when he even – even for a nanosecond – and, like, don't hold him to it. Don't, like, have a decreased view of – don't let it affect your view of Ryan Day – 
But to even intimate for a nanosecond, like, well, I don't know, maybe it, I was just like, oh, what? Because I think I, I thought the answer is you leave everything on the field in the first game and do everything you possibly can to win that game. And then after the final seconds tick off, then you say to yourself, okay, now how are we going to beat them next week? But that is, you do not think about week two until you have put every ounce of blood, sweat, tears, and game planning into week one. That is what I, my perception would be. And I think that's what the reality would be. And I think Ryan, not expecting the question, just kind of was like, made it like the NFL or whatever. Yep. But I, I, I can't imagine actually ever like slow playing game one to make sure you're in a better spot for game two. Yeah. The more that this comes up, I, I like. So, are we sure that no divisions is the way to go with this? <laughs> well, no. I mean, it, it's a unique problem, and we have a whole off season to do it. It is a unique problem because you can't move it off the end of the year. I don't think right. No. I mean, it's like Oklahoma, Texas. How hey, you play that middle of the year, whatever. It's like you can't move it off the end of the year. I think like that's a non-starter. So then you then you face this. So, I mean, there were people, again, saying, like, well, what if you had a rule where the Big Ten championship game, there's no divisions, but it can't be a rematch? And then it's like, okay, well, then that, what if that means your championship game is, like, one versus five? Because you just happen to have played two, three, and four. Like, is that what we're trying yeah, to do? Like, And is it a TV product, or is it a, re- or is it a representation of who the best team in your conference is and who, who earns something? You know, I don't know. So, um, but, I, but I do I do think it is possible that you could get into a room deciding this and a version of this conversation breaks out and somebody at some point says something like just what you said, which is like, are we sure about this? Because if you just keep them on the same side and say they're on one side, it's going to be one or the other most of the time. That's it. It's a semifinal every year. But it's one and done. We're not doing it twice. And then everybody, you know, whatever, USC and Penn... Put anybody else on the other side you want to, but it's okay. And what you are agreeing to then is the idea of our two best teams are going to play each other. It just maybe won't be in the championship game, but they're going to decide something. They're going to decide a championship. It just might not be in the championship. Ohio State and Michigan decided the Big Ten championship last year. They then, But then the winner just had to go like play an exhibition game in Indianapolis right, right. for Dr. Pepper reasons. But it's not like – but really – what game decided the Big Ten Championship? That. Well, that's good. So you have to maybe be comfortable with the game that decides the conference championship not being the conference championship. But that might be better than doing it twice. I was thinking back to we did this thing on the pod uh, like a few years ago now where you were you – were, it was uh, – people were sending in these like fan fiction things about Doug Maurice the 17th. Um, covering mm. college football in the future. Do you remember this? And yeah. I'm, I'm thinking ahead to the point where it's going to be like, oh, you remember how in uh, 2042 and 2053, when Ohio State and Michigan played in the playoff semifinals both those years after playing on Thanksgiving weekend and meeting again in the Big Ten Championship game? <laughs> because that, anytime Ohio State and Michigan play rematch for the Big Ten Championship under this new divisionless scenario, they're both going to the playoff, right? Like what they, that means they would both be the two best teams in the big 10 clearly going into that last game and then still have the best record. And like, they're both making the playoff. So again, anytime they play twice there, it's always going to be on the table that a third game is coming too. 
All right, so very quickly, in that Big Ten championship game, if Iowa beats Nebraska, that's on Friday, right? Yep. I think it's on Friday. It's a Black Friday game. If Iowa beats Nebraska, it's Iowa. If Iowa loses to Nebraska and Purdue, Purdue wins, wins against IU. Indiana, then it's Purdue. I think if Iowa and Purdue both win, there's a scenario where there's like a five-way tie with teams that, that are at five and four. I think that's right. That's possible. And, and so I don't know. Then they just set the whole – they just can't. But I think Iowa has the – the, I think the five-way I, tiebreaker? If they both win or if they both lose, you're saying? No, if they both lose. They both lose. I don't know. So anyway, there's a good chance it's Iowa. There's a very good chance it's Iowa, but Iowa. there's a very non-zero chance that Iowa does not beat Nebraska. Like the the Big Ten West, I I never say die, man. And so that would be again that would just be like a repeat of last year, though, right? That like what Michigan did to Iowa in the Big Ten championship game a year ago. Yes. Um, there's no reason to think that it wouldn't be that again. But I guess it would be. Uh, again, we already sort of talked about this. We just have to let people know that Iowa did beat Minnesota and Purdue did beat Northwestern, although not that convincingly. So those two teams stayed on track. If Minnesota had beaten Iowa, Minnesota would have been in, in right in that mix. Um, this is just Iowa being Iowa. I guess it, it would be some, certainly it would be viewed as some kind of um, proof that Iowa is is doing something right, right? And maybe justifiably so. I mean, my gosh, back-to-back Big Ten championship games, there's a lot, a lot of teams that aren't doing that. There's a lot of teams that aren't doing that because they don't play in the West. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, um, but I guess probably probably people don't care about that that much. Okay, so let's take one more quick break. We'll come back and do what you eat. And so, yeah, just to be clear, Iowa and Purdue are both five and three. Illinois, Minnesota, and Wisconsin are all four and four. So there is, but I guess Minnesota and Wisconsin, Wisconsin play, each Wisconsin play each other. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Illinois plays. So it couldn't be a five-way tie. It could be a four-way tie. Correct. So if Illinois beats Northwestern, you'd have the winner of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Purdue loses, Iowa loses. That's four of them tied at five and four. And then I don't care. Good luck. Okay. When we come back, we're going to do what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking, but we're going to keep it kind of on the game and what's going on around this week. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Nathan. So let let's just start with what you're thinking because, like, I, I I still want us like I mean we're we're thinking about this, right? Like, what are you thinking about Ohio State Michigan this week? That you covered it in 2019, you missed out on covering it in 2020 because we didn't have a game. 2021, you saw a a, a classic game and a and a great win for Michigan, and now here we are. Now, what is your just like, what are your vibes this week? What are you thinking about the game this week? So there, there are two things, and one is, is one you already alluded to, but this will be my first Ohio State-Michigan game at Ohio Stadium. I've never experienced that. That I was here for 2019 and, and 2021, both in Ann Arbor. So I'm looking forward to that. Like, what is the vibe around Ohio Stadium for a Michigan game? I don't know what – I don't know the answer to that. I can tell you the answer to every other game they've ever played, including a national championship game. I cannot tell you what it's like to be at Ohio Stadium when Michigan is there. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to just absorbing everything that day. Um, might even try to, like – I don't usually go to school session because I'm doing other things. I've thought about trying to get over there. If it's not too crowded, we'll see. I just kind of want to like be around as much of the vibe as I can that day. A lot of games, you know, they're playing Rutgers, they're playing Arkansas state, 
you're you're already thinking about like what am I how am I getting my work done after the game before the game even starts that is not going to be the case on on Saturday that is a day to kind of sit in it and like really live in that game and enjoy it um the other thing is is the way that everything that we have asked ourselves about this Ohio State team and the way we've analyzed this team has in some way traced back to that game and looked ahead to this game. And Saturday will answer in some ways, in many ways, how right or wrong we were about some of the reads that we've gotten along the way and some of the assessments that we've made along the way. My assessment as I sit here today is that Ohio State has done the necessary things to have the advantage in that game. I think they are the better team. And now it's just a matter of of, of executing those things. Um, we were talking about this a little bit, I guess, after the game Saturday night. Like, how how much does Maryland tell you? I don't know. But I know that the, the accumulation of the 11 games leading up to it tells me that um, this is an Ohio State defense that is, is confident and believes it can solve problems on the go. It's an Ohio State offense that even when the run game is clunky, um, has often found a way to figure that out in the second halves of games. And it just seems like a team that can can solve the next problem that comes up. So that's that's kind of the identity that I've built about Ohio State as I've watched them this year. And it, so it, it's either you think that they're going to just keep solving problems or when do they hit the problem they can't solve? Either Either answer is plausible for Saturday. So my second year on the beat was 2006. And again, I just, I just don't think that'll ever be topped because it's one versus two. It's an Ohio State quarterback from Ohio on the brink of a Heisman Trophy, and Bo died. Like that—that's the thing that like just changed everything. Right. He is—he is one of. I mean, if you did the legendary figures of the rivalry in 118 years, um, I mean, is Bo two? Right. I, I maybe. I think Bo. I think Bo's probably two, right? What he's one and Bo's two. I don't know. I mean, we're not doing that right now, but I mean that's kind of an obvious thing to say. So for that to happen that week, and everything around that, um, and that that was still sort of like we were we were well in like the BCS, like that kind of version of the playoff, but it still it wasn't. We didn't talk about like the playoff quite in the same way that we talk about it now. Like it was just, there was a lot of, uh, it was still, I think, transitional in 06 of a local, of a regional sport transitioning to national, but it wasn't as far down that path as things are now. And so what you got then, like right now, I think the, the combination of regional and national ramming into each other is is leading us to talk about what if they play twice more? It's making our heads explode. 2006, the combination of regional and national, there was like only positive to it. There was only upside to it because it still was regional first. It was still, this is Ohio State. This is Michigan. This is Trestle. This is Bo. This is like all of that, right? And it was spectacular. Like it was in it the game like lived up to it. Right. And Troy lived up to it. And, and Troy Smith wins the Heisman trophy in that moment. And so I think it is an apt comparison for this game in a lot of ways, but this really, man, I almost should write this. This really is 
the national version of that. Because that was an Ohio State team that had dominated its own backyard and was about to go out into the world and show that its way of doing things, even though it worked in 02, spectacularly, memorably, obviously, worked in 02, they were about to go out into the world and show that way of doing things was not going to work anymore. And it didn't work, and it led to some consternation at Ohio State, which then led to a change. So this goes back to our Kings of the North stuff right now. Like now we have a decent idea that you think the Ohio State thing might work nationally, but you don't know if it's going to win on Saturday, which again is the whole point of Kings of the North. And that's the whole thing of the run game. It's the whole thing of short yardage. It's the whole thing of winning in November in the Big Ten. But then on top of that, that was an Ohio coach and an Ohio quarterback. And I don't know. I mean, like that whole relationship of Jim Trestle and Troy Smith and the story of Ted Ginn Sr. and how Troy Smith got here and how Jim Trestle had that scholarship for him. And oh my gosh, versus Ryan Day and CJ Stroud, coast to coast, New Hampshire to California, last second offer, didn't really know anything about Ohio State. Neither of them, neither, both of them came here because it was a good job. Because it's the, it's the best job you can get. What's the best job in college football to be a head coach? Might be Ohio State. Where would you rather be a quarterback right now? Anywhere in the country? I don't know. I think maybe Ohio State. C.J. Stroud came here for that. He didn't come here because he grew up loving Scarlet and Gray. He came here because of not he, because of the opportunity provided by Ohio State, not because it was Ohio State, right? How different is that, Nathan? It's the mirror image. It's the opposite end of the spectrum. It's the same thing, but it's a different thing. And the other thing, by that point, and we talked, I think, a little bit about this on the postgame pod. Troy Smith by 06, he's a Michigan killer already. He killed him in 04. He killed him in 05. He's going for 3-0. and We're talking about tippy-die, man. That's what Troy Smith was in 06. Troy was putting a cherry on top. Man, CJ's trying to bake that cake. So it is so similar, but it is so different. And if 06 was all... Oh, man. I've always thought that 06, right, that's the book. It's the end of the Big Ten and the rise of the SEC, right? You start at the Ohio State-Michigan game, and then it takes you to the Ohio State-Florida National Championship, and then it's Urban and Saban, and then that that book ends with Urban coming back to Ohio State in the Big Ten to get the Big Ten back to competing with the SEC. But now I almost feel like, now, now I almost feel like this circle is com- completed because the version of it is, that might have been the last regional Ohio State-Michigan game, even though it was one versus two nationally. It was still regional in a lot of ways. And now this is absolutely national. And how different it is 16 years later, even though it's Jim Harbaugh, who is as regional to this rivalry as you can get. He's as regional as Trestle was, born in it, raised in it, part of it his whole life. But like Ryan Day is not, CJ Stroud is not. Emeka Buka is not. Marvin Harrison Jr. is not, right? There's a lot of guys, right? We're just inching towards that. So I think it's super fascinating. It doesn't mean Ohio State's not going to play at a high level. It doesn't mean those guys don't care. They do. But there is a difference between learned behavior. And it's, right, it's nature versus nurture. There's a lot of nature. There's a lot of nature in 06. There's a lot of nurture here. I think the nurture can be just as effective. I think in some ways, nurture at times can be more effective. Like I said, you'd picked it. It's like, ah, oh, why are you Ohio State fan? I don't know. I'm born in Ohio. My parents were fans. 
It's not why C.J. Stroud's an Ohio State Buckeye, right? So the nurture could be super compelling, but man, it's different than nature, isn't it? Boy, isn't it different? Yeah, it's not. So like I, I love that where I love where this is, but man, it's it's a little nuts, isn't it? It's not like they don't tell these guys that weren't born in it what they're getting into through the recruiting process. Like you, uh, I think, told everybody about the, the the piece that we're writing for this week. And one of the questions I was asking parents was like, when did you first realize you're supposed to hate Michigan? And like all of them have some kind of story about a time that they said the wrong thing or wore the wrong thing in the Woody uh, during the recruiting process and what the repercussions were for that. And it, it is funny to me, though, that you um, – you brought up a good point, but we're back when we were talking about in 06 where, you know, when it was one versus two and then people, I remember, cause I wasn't really covering, obviously I wasn't covering Ohio state or Michigan. And I, I wasn't really that involved in college football coverage, but I remember the debate at the time and the people who were like, uh, immediately dismissive, like, no, like they can't play again. Like you can't, like they've had their chance. They, they played their game. They decided who was better. And now they, you know, the winner should get paired up with somebody else where, and it was almost like dismissed. There were people who thought it was like a travesty that you might get a rematch there. Whereas now like Georgia and Alabama played twice in the span of three games last year, nobody bats an eye. And just the, the, the sport has like flopped over on itself a little bit to where this game does have a, a reach beyond what 06 even did, I think, because of what it can, where, how it pays forward. So it's going to be great. We'll get into a lot of matchup stuff this week. I, I did write this down and, and I think it's worth doing. Listen, people, people want to know about this stuff, right? I, I just looked at the PFF grades. It's just a way of doing it. Again, a lot of the other power ranking stuff is not done on a Sunday night. PFF overall grades, just by, by teams, by PFF, Ohio State's number one at 95.8. Michigan's number two at 94.9. They're both ahead of Georgia. Take it for what you will. Offensively, Ohio State is two. Air Force is actually one, which, again, is one of these things. You have to understand, okay, there's contact. Mm-hmm. Ohio State's two, Michigan's six. Okay? Defense, Michigan's one. Ohio State's four. Which is, a again, closing the gap. You don't have to be as good, but they absolutely close the gap. Pass and run offensively. Again, this is a little odd. Ohio State's 12th in the passing rating. Michigan's 48th. Michigan is first in the run rating. Ohio State's 11th. And again, if you said, oh, Ohio State, they have the 11th best run game in the country. But like, oh, well, that's not true. But again, it's just it's like where, where there are advantages. I did write this down by PFF grades, the 10, the top 10 offensive players combined for the two teams. Nathan, do you know who's number one offensively overall? Michigan, I, Ohio State combined. I believe it's Blake Corum. It is Blake Corum. Marvin Harrison Jr. is two. Donovan Edwards, who's the backup Michigan running back, is three. And then it's all Ohio State guys. So Ohio State has added the top 10 offensively. Maya Williams is four, Luke Whippler five, Dewan Jones six, CJ Stroud seven, Dallin Hayden eight, Paris Johnson Jr. nine, and Mecca Abuka ten. Defensively, do you know who's first defensively? Two teams combined? Is it Tommy Eichenberg? It is Tommy Eichenberg. For as good as Michigan's defense is, and again, I don't know, maybe it's the Ohio State guy and the Michigan guy doing the grades grade differently. I don't know. The top four defenders are Ohio State guys. By raw PFF year, numbers for the year. Eichenberg, one. Ronnie Hickman, two. Zach Harrison, three. Lathan Ransom, four. Lathan Ransom's tied for fourth with Mike Morris, the Michigan 
edge rusher. Mm-hmm. Will Johnson, who's a young corner for them, is sixth. Um, and then Michigan guys, JJB is tied for is ninth, tied for tenth is Tyleek Williams and Mike Hall Jr. So again, you know, Michigan has a really good defense. There's some people who think there's some individual Ohio State defenders who are playing pretty well too. Um a lot at stake there, a lot at stake. It also is now, as people know, I don't know if people forgot, it's Thanksgiving this week. This is also my wife was a turkey baby. So it's like, right, you're born around Thanksgiving. And so your whole life, it's like sometimes your birthday falls on Thanksgiving. Sometimes it's the day before. Sometimes it's the day after, whatever. You're constantly running up against Thanksgiving. But then little did she know that she also would become uh, a Michigan Week woman. She was a Thanksgiving <laughs> baby. And now she's a Michigan Week woman, which is just a thing that a husband says. It's like, ah, I didn't get you any presents. It's Michigan Week. So she has come to understand that, but also it is her 50th birthday on Tuesday, which is not only Ohio State Michigan Week, it is interview day, (laughs) Ohio State Michigan Week. So we are going to try to go out to dinner as a family on Wednesday, but it's chock full. It's chock full, man, but it's, I don't, it's the worst thing she could have done. The only thing that would have complicated her life more than having her birthday around Thanksgiving is to marry an Ohio State or Michigan writer. So as I always say, when things like this come up, it's her fault for marrying me. It's not my fault. <laughs> no. I didn't marry me. I am me. I think this is probably not the first time that's been said. Now, no. we have a similar thing, actually. Haley, my wife, her birthday is December 28th. So right after Christmas and right at a time where if you cover Ohio State, you're probably either – getting on a plane or you're already where you're supposed to be to cover the next game, whether it's a playoff semifinal, whether it's the Rose bowl, whatever. So I don't think we've been in the same place for her birthday since I started covering this team. Maybe we were in 2020 because that schedule was messed up. I can't remember, but it's, it's been a minute. Um, So we have a similar thing that we have to deal with and and we, we try to figure it out best we can. Um, There's people who like, really care about their birthday and there's people who don't and she's one of those she's more one of those people who really cares about her birthday so i appreciate that and i want to you know um you have to come up with something to like um fill in for the void of of you not being there i guess to say uh but the game has actually created another little tradition for our family which is you know when we bought this house with you know more bedrooms than we need for just the two of us or whatever not that it's some kind of mansion but um we always kind of envision being able to like host everybody for Thanksgiving. And we do that, although everybody doesn't stay here. Most people actually prefer my parents, her parents would rather like stay in an Airbnb or whatever. But um, this has become like our, our, our hosting place for Thanksgiving. And it's because of the game, because I can always say realistically, like I don't have time to drive like 10 hours round trip this week to go anywhere. Like if you guys want to see us and now, if you want to come see the baby, you got to come here to Columbus on Thanksgiving. So it's become like last year we had uh, uh, even more people than we have this year. Just a big spread. Um, everybody here just stuffed into the house, uh, cooking and eating and just hanging out and playing games and stuff. And it's a, a it's a because of the game. It's probably it's a better Thanksgiving than we would be having otherwise because we'd probably be picking one family or the other and only getting right. like half of it but now because of Michigan and Ohio State we are like ground zero for Thanksgiving in our respective immediate families and it's awesome everybody comes together yeah no you can't leave 
Like it's like whatever. It's like well, I'm not. We, we're not going anywhere. At least, at least the writer's not. Maybe the rest of the family's going to go somewhere. Um, so you will be having the whole the whole clan. Yep. For big Thanksgiving dinner. We'll with the four of us. We don't have any people coming this year. We're just going to go out to a buffet, which is which is great. But I did get. When I was in D.C., I stayed with my uh, – at the Maryland game, I stayed with my sister, and then my mom came down. And so we had a Thanksgiving dinner Sunday night uh, – no, Friday night before the game. We had like a Thanksgiving dinner because it was like – you know, there's two of us, me and my sister, and then my mom. So like we – like that side of the family got to do a Thanksgiving thing because they coincidentally played near my sister's house the week before Michigan. So that was – so I get – I'm going to get two Thanksgiving dinners because I stuffed myself with uh, Thanksgiving dinner already on Friday night. So that's that's lucky for me. Um all right, that's the what you eaten part of it. Are you watching anything? Is there anything you watched? I mean it's Ohio State Michigan week. You know I mean not really allowed to watch anything. Yeah, and and you know, a, a travel week that cuts into what you can watch. Um I didn't really have anything. Uh, we we started watching the show Blockbuster, um, which is I guess we've been watching it oh. through Netflix. I'm a little bit annoyed. So it's got it has some people in it that I think are are, are fine. It, it just annoys me. Netflix had a documentary about the last blockbuster that the legitimately like the last blockbuster video rental location that is still going, and it's in somewhere. I think it's in either Washington or Oregon. And this show is set in Michigan, which I assume is done just to get around having to pay anything towards the actual last blockbuster that exists in Oregon or Washington. So that has been like a, a stumbling block for me to actually get into the show, but um, it's all right. The other thing, the watching thing I did, do you watch Bob's burgers at all? I do I love Bob's burgers. Yeah. Cause I do not watch it, but there's a movie and it was on my Southwest flight. So I watched like 40 minutes of it. And I can't decide if I like it or not, but I might have it's, to try to keep watching it to decide if I do. So I would say that it's one of those things where if you have never seen the show and don't have a frame of reference for the humor and for the characters, it might be tough to just sit down and watch the movie Cold Turkey. But I would encourage you to watch the show. I think the show is really funny and sweet and kind of... Um, kind of uh, has a has a good skewed sense of humor sometimes with the kids and everything. Uh, I really think Bob's Burgers is a lot of fun. And the other thing, like, do you, I guess we have an interview that you did that is going to be on one of the podcasts this week with one of the producers of the new Ohio State Michigan documentary, which I believe is called Rivals or The Rivals? Just Rivals. Uh, yeah. Just Rivals. Um, did you watch? Did you watch that yet? I Did watched watch the trailer it? in order to prepare for that interview, which I didn't, <laughs> which I found out I was doing that day. Didn't have time to watch well, the whole uh, show. Uh, I was going to say I didn't need to, didn't need to name anyone. No, no, no. Um, I was, I signed up to do it, and then I was like, uh, Nathan, can you do it? You're like, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, um, but it's L. John Wertheim, who people know is a, a Sports Illustrated senior writer. Maybe you've seen him as a, a, a 60 Minutes correspondent. He, he's done some stuff with uh, uh, he's he's big into tennis, and that was actually kind of what led him to do this series. Was I think he had done some stuff with Federer and uh, it's escaping me right now. Who who the Rafael Nadal might have been Nadal and Federer, yeah, and. Um, in that rivalry and that it kind of led him to explore these other rivalries, but JK Simmons, the Oscar winning actor, people probably know um, who is from Michigan, but then grew up in Ohio. His dad was like a 
music teacher at Ohio State, I think, and is a huge Ohio State fan. He's the narrator of it. And it, it, for people, uh, it's it's more about um, – it's not like – a history book being recited of like, here was what the game was in 1951 and here's who won it these years. And here's who won it these years. It's more about the rivalry. It's more about the essence of an intense rivalry and what that's about and what that's like and why it has happened. Why um, of all the rivalries in college sports, why did maybe it happen between Ohio state and Michigan in a way that it didn't happen to that extent in other places. So I'm actually looking forward to watching it. They're going to show it on BTN immediately after the game. So after the game on Saturday, you can switch over to BTN and watch this uh, documentary special. Oh, it doesn't come out before the game? I think you might be able to. I I know that it's showing on BTN after the game. I can't remember if it's showing. We'll have to, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll suss that out. We'll let you know. But Stephen Means is in this documentary too. I'm not presenting that as a point in favor of watching or not watching. I'm just telling you. Eyes wide open, a Buckeye Talk member is in the documentary. He is in the documentary, as are some other recognizable. Uh, Ohio I know, State. Yes, Tim May definitely reporters. is in there. Um, I, 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 I recognize some of the Michigan reporters. Definitely a lot of personalities that people will know. Right. Not me. Not me. Just covered the team for 18 years. Not me. And I did because John Wortham like reached out to me. Or he just, I'm sure he was tweeting. He like DM me and was like, hey, we have this documentary coming out. Like asked me like to promote it, but like didn't ask me to be in it. And I might have conned. Well, I might have considered responding with something along the lines of "get bent" or "cram it." <laughs> I've covered the team for eighteen years. You want me to promote it, but you don't want me to talk about it. You can cram it. I, I, I'll be honest. I pondered that message, and I, I may still send it. I actually may still send it at some point because I mean, it's not like I don't talk about this team literally more than anybody who covers either team. Nobody talks about this team currently more than me. I'm not sure anyone in the world talks more than me. All I do is talk, Nathan. All I do... I'm well aware, Doug. I'm just saying. (laughs) I was available. That's all I'm saying. But then don't ask me to promote it if you don't want me to ask my opinion about it for 18 years. I'm just saying. I mean, it's fine. I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's great. Sure, that's a gaping hole that I could have filled, but I'm sure it's great. But it's fine. But it's fine. I'm not. I'm not mad. But I might still send a message. Probably will send a message. So you, who cooks the bird? You don't cook the bird because you're writing stories. Does your oh, no, wife I'll, have to cook the bird? There's a lot of like tandem cooking that goes on that week. But the good okay. thing about, I mean, a turkey does not take that long to prepare. It's in the fridge right now. That's the biggest part of it. Just thawing it out. We've had it in the freezer for a while. And then you, you know, you lather it with your, your butter and you put the spices, uh, the, 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 your aromatics in there and stuff. And then we actually have a big roaster and we just put it in that and it sits on the counter and roasts in that. You don't even have to put it in the oven, which frees up the oven for a lot of other things. So oh. I'll, I'll be involved in helping prepare a lot of the, the food Wednesday into nice. Thursday. And then just well, one last Thursday proper, tease. Thursday proper. It was when we do a lot of cooking. You, th- this, this big story that you and Steven have been working on, how do you feel about it? Like, do you feel like you've gotten some interest, had some interesting conversations with members of the, the families of Ohio State players? Yeah, I, 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 
I did. Um, what I don't know, you know, the 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 months that have gone since that game, I think we we gave we're going to be able to give people some good emotional response of what it was like that day, that night, immediately after, um, and and some good anecdotes there. And then I think a lot of the guys on this team, it sort of just clicked into this resolve. And um, we're going to try to, to you know, describe that the best we can, too, as well, obviously. But it's almost like once the loss happened, it doesn't like it's not like it keeps on happening in new ways. You're just kind of dealing with it for the next year and 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 it motivates you. But the, the best stories, I think, are going to be from some of the things that happened that day, like what it was like even for the parents to be in that stadium. You're in the opposing stadium. Hmm. And realize as that game is is going on that like oh man like they are losing they're 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 losing they're going to lose, and now we are like sitting here <laughs> in as Ohio State parents in the losing stadium and uh, we're gonna have to go help our sons uh, basically. I think that was uh, one of the other themes that came through this was like well what do you say then? Um, obviously there's all sorts of mentors and, and coaches and people around these guys at all times, but as a parent, you have a great influence and a great responsibility. And so then what do you say to these guys in what is like, probably for a lot of them, like their most trying athletic moment to that point, like what, how do you move forward? Like, what's your advice? And we, we have some good anecdotes, I think of, of those things too. All right. That'll be early this week. We will be doing a podcast on Tuesday which we don't normally do in a typical week, but it's the week of Ohio State, Michigan. Plus it's Thanksgiving week. So we'll have a Tuesday pod. We'll have a Wednesday pod. We'll have a Thursday pod. We'll have a Friday pod to get you ready for the coverage on Saturday for now. On behalf of Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.